evening, everyone. It's good to see you all. Um, please open with me to the book of Ephesians. We're continuing in our series in Ephesians. If you please turn to Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll be in verses 7 to 14. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 7 to 14. And if you'd please stand with me as we read God's word together. Ephesians 5, verse 7 to 14 says, Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of that light consists in all goodness and righteousness, and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. And do not participate in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason, it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Lord, be blessed by the reading of your word. Be blessed by this feeble attempt to preach it. Lord, may it go out for the purpose it was intended. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. One of the earliest Christian documents outside of Scripture that we have is called the Didache the teachings of the twelve apostles. And it wasn't written by any of the apostles, so far as we know, but it was an instructional manual for the church, specifically for the catechumens, or the new believers who are waiting to be baptized. And the Didache covers topics like baptism, food laws, fasting, prayer, the Lord's Supper, and various other instructions for church life. And the Didache begins with these words. There are two ways of life. Excuse me. There are two ways. One of life and one of death. And there is a great difference between the two ways. In Ephesians 5, 7-14, Paul lays out a similar contrast between two ways of life. The way of light and the way of darkness. According to the Apostle Paul, and therefore according to God who inspired his writings, there are two, and only two, ways of living. And there's a world of difference between these two ways. In fact, they are opposed to one another. It's like seeing a Venn diagram, except the circles are separate from each other. Because you cannot have, on the one hand, a worldly Christian... And on the other hand, you cannot have a godly, quote-unquote, unbeliever. But it seems that in the Ephesian church, there were some Christians who were trying to bring the two ways, light and darkness, together. Perhaps due to some immaturity or ignorance, or both. And this was a serious problem, because they weren't taking their new status seriously. God in Christ has graciously forgiven you, Paul says. You've been brought across the chasm that separates 
the way of darkness from the way of light. Don't try to jump back over. His purpose is to warn them away from the darkness and to remind them of their new status as light in Christ. And he'll do this by way of three commands. Number one, don't be partakers with the world. Number two, don't participate in wickedness, but instead expose it. And number three, wake up. Wake up. So beginning in verse 7, we read the first command. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Earlier in verse 6, he warns the Ephesian Christians that the wrath of God is upon the sons of disobedience, which is why he begins verse 7 with, Therefore, do not be partakers with them. The NIV renders it, do not be partners with them. When you were young, maybe your mom and dad warned you against being friends or hanging out with certain kids at school. Don't hang out with the kids who offer you cigarettes, was the one that my mom always said to me. No one ever actually did offer me a cigarette, but I still grew up thinking that kids giving them out like candy in fifth grade was a big problem. But what was my mom and dad's reasoning, or your mom and dad's reasoning behind this prohibition? If you hang out with those kids, and if you do what they do, you're going to get into trouble. Paul is saying something similar here. If you partner with the world, you're going to get into trouble. Why? Because they're under God's wrath. Their wicked ways of living are attracting wrath, which you may very well feel the effects of. If you stand too close to someone who is on fire, you yourself are going to get burned. Now that word partake or partner that Paul uses doesn't just mean hang out or associate with. He's not telling us to go live in a cabin in the woods, sorry Chris, free from the influence of the world. We all have unbelieving family members, neighbors, co-workers, and friends who we love and who we spend time with, and that's all well and good. In fact, evangelism necessitates that we spend time with unbelievers, with worldly people. But, he's saying, don't share in their practice. Don't follow their way of life. Don't join in with their sin or approve of it. They're attracting God's wrath. Don't be in the splash zone when it comes. But that's not even the most important reason for God's command, for Paul's command, rather. He says, do not be partakers with them. Verse 8, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Notice how he describes the Christian's former position. You were darkness, not you lived in darkness, or maybe you had a little bit of darkness in you. No, you were darkness. You were the embodiment of darkness. A little harsh, Paul. This should remind you of, of Ephesians 2.1, where Paul says, You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. But listen to these words that Paul uses. You were formerly darkness. 
Think with me to 1 Corinthians 6, where Paul says to the Christians there, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, homosexuals, thieves, the greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers, none of them will inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you. But what? What happened? But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Going back to Ephesians 5, Paul says, You were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. This is the effect of your justification. Not only have you been placed in right standing with God, but your nature has been remade. You're not what you once were. God who spoke light out of darkness at the beginning has shown his light in your hearts through the sacrifice of Christ. The darkness you used to love has become deplorable to you. And you walk before God with gratitude as a child of the light. In a real way, you've received true enlightenment. And just as an apple bears apple tree bears apples, the Christian also bears a certain fruit. Verses 9 and 10. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of that light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. What are these three virtues, goodness, righteousness, and truth? Goodness is the imitation of God's character, his moral character. Righteousness is conformity to his laws. Truth is the commitment to God's will and ways and the rejection of falsehoods and deceit. By these three virtues, the Christian is supposed to test everything to see if it's acceptable and pleasing to the Lord. Ask yourself, is your soul concerned with these things? Has the love of Christ compelled you to love goodness, righteousness, and truth? Has your consideration of the gospel convicted you to learn what pleases the Lord? That phrase, trying to learn, has also been rendered carefully determined or prove. Imagine someone examining something through a microscope, trying to learn what it is. As God's children, as children of the light, you'll be faced with the temptation to return to the darkness, to return to acting like your former way of life. And it's in those moments that you must fall back on these virtues, goodness, righteousness, and truth, to determine what the godly responses to those situations are, because Scripture does not speak to every situation we will face. How do I imitate God in this? Am I conforming to his laws in this? Is there a falsehood or a lie that I need to be rejecting here? How should I be speaking truth into this? That's how you show yourself to be different from the world. Your first consideration is what pleases God. We could spend a lot more time on that, but Paul moves on quickly to his second command because his point is to call the Ephesians to live out their new status as light in the Lord. That starts by refusing to have any partnership with darkness. 
But what happens when we see Christians in that partnership? Here's Paul's second command. Verse 11. Do not participate in the unfruitful works of darkness. This is a parallel command to verse 7. Do not be partakers with them. Don't walk as they walk. Don't do the works that they do. Why? Because these works of darkness are unfruitful. They're worthless. Matthew uses the word unfruitful when recounting Jesus' parable of the sower. Matthew 13.22, describing the seed that was thrown upon the thorny soil, Jesus says, This is the one who hears the word, and the worry of the world, and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. The word of God has no bearing on this person's soul because he's too concerned with worldliness and wealth, so the word becomes worthless. We see this all too often in the church, throughout history and today. In medieval England, it was common knowledge that the priests of all people were some of the most corrupt and worldly, unfruitful people in the nation. During the Reformation era, in the Puritan era, there are numerous writings on this sort of nominal Christianity, this dark Christianity that says, I believe in Jesus, but I want to continue in my adultery. I want to continue in my drunkenness or whatever my pet sin seems to be. This attitude is rampant in our age of technology. So much darkness is accessible to us at the click of a button or the swipe of a finger. These works are worthless. They're of no value to your soul or to other people. They only bring you deeper into the pit and they bring others with you. The fruit of the light, goodness, righteousness, truth. These things seem to be in very short supply these days. And Paul says, do not participate in the unfruitful, worthless works of darkness, but instead, he says, even expose them. Now there's a lot of debate on whether these these words are commanding Christians to expose the sin of unbelievers or fellow believers. And contextually, it seems to be the latter. We're called to expose the sins of our brothers and sisters in Christ. It sounds like the problem that Paul was addressing was Gentile Christians who were sort of trying to tiptoe their way back to their old way of life. When Paul says, do not be partakers with them, the them refers to the sons of disobedience. And the implication seems to be that there were some Christians who were being partakers with them. And now here, when he says, do not participate in the unfruitful works of darkness, the implication seems to be that there were some Christians who were participating in those very works. And maybe they were ignorant about what the effect of the gospel truly was. I mean, they would have grown up in a culture where syncretism was rampant. It was okay to worship multiple gods without any problem. So who cares if I serve Jesus Christ and Artemis? Who cares if I break bread with the church today and go visit my favorite cult prostitute tomorrow? These are the works that need to be exposed, Paul says, literally brought to light. Verse 12, for it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret, but all things become visible. 
when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. Another word for disgraceful is shameful. Brad and I were talking at the Shepherds Conference after a session on biblical counseling about the lack of biblical shame in our culture, in the church. Because evangelicalism hates the words and the concepts of guilt and shame. If someone is committing a sin, if a Christian, a fellow believer, is committing sin, the last thing you want to do is say anything that would make them feel guilty or shamed. But what are guilt and shame but the warning lights of the conscience? If you're committing a sin in secret, as a believer, you're doing it because you know that if you were to do it publicly, you'd be ashamed of yourself. And if you feel free to commit that sin publicly, your conscience isn't working. It's those very sins that need to be exposed. Now, don't misunderstand. We do not shame people. That is not the Christian duty. To expose means to rebuke. It means to reprove. To bring sin into the light and to show its true nature. It's the Holy Spirit that pricks the conscience with the power of God's word. We have a responsibility to our fellow believers when we see them walking in darkness, flirting with the world, and looking back longingly at their former way of life. And it's the same responsibility you might have to a family member who's put themselves in some kind of mortal danger. This brother or sister is headed for destruction. And out of concern for them, you must intervene. This is a very much a loving action, done with great care, discretion, compassion. It's done with a trust in the power of the Holy Spirit to bring the word of God to bear and to change the heart. The ultimate aim is that these believers who have fallen in with darkness would turn to produce the fruit of light, goodness, righteousness, truth. This is the goal of church discipline. This is the goal of discipleship and biblical counseling. It's the duty of all Christians. Friends don't let friends walk in darkness. Paul says, All things become visible when exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. And the image here is of a dark room suddenly illuminated by a lamp. Darkness can't help but flee when light is present. It may retreat to the corners of the room or be eliminated entirely. It's almost as if the darkness is uncomfortable around light. And that's true, isn't it? Whether you're the one exposing the sin of a fellow Christian or if you're the one being exposed, this isn't comfortable. There are two conflicting forces at play. Each one is trying to win. Darkness, light. But Paul admits no confusion as to who the ultimate winner is because he says everything that becomes visible is light. If a person is regenerate, the Holy Spirit has truly changed their heart, brought them to salvation through the blood of Christ. One way or another, they will be brought to the light. The Spirit of God always gets his man. And he's who we rely on when speaking biblical truth to our fellow Christians who have fallen into sin. It's the Spirit who causes people to produce the fruit of light, to practice goodness and righteousness and truth. We don't produce the light. 
We merely reflect it. Now we come to Paul's final command. He's warned Christians, don't be partners with the darkness. Don't participate in the unfruitful works of darkness, but expose them. Now to those who may be in that darkness, he says, wake up, wake up. Verse 14, for this reason it says, awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. There's been some debate as to where Paul is quoting from here because these words aren't found anywhere in Scripture, but he's quoting them as if they were. Most seem to agree that he's quoting one of the earliest Christian hymns based on some verses in Isaiah. And this verse is referring to what we might call the backslider. This isn't the Christian who is battling habitual sin, daily running to Christ for strength in the fight. This isn't the Christian who commits sins in the course of living the Christian life, as we all do, but turns from them and guards against them. This is the Christian who, for some reason or another, has gone back to his or her old way of living. They've returned to the darkness. They are no longer walking in the light. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that they've lost their salvation because God promises to preserve his people forever, although there are backsliders who were never saved to begin with. But it does mean, like verse 6 says, that they're in danger of falling into the path of God's wrath reserved for the unbelievers around them. And as mentioned already, at worst, it means they're unregenerate and they need God's intervening grace. In John Bunyan's allegory, The Pilgrim's Progress, the main character, Christian, remembers a man he knew whose name was Temporary. Temporary. Now, Temporary, he lived in a town called Graceless, which was two miles from the town Honesty. And he lived with a man named Turnback. Little on the nose, but that's the point. Temporary is described as someone who in Christian's words, was once a forward man in religion, much awakened with some sight of his sins and of the wages that were due thereunto. By all accounts, temporary looks like a Christian man. But he meets a man named Save Self, and he isn't heard of anymore. And we're left to question his ultimate faith. But from what we do know, he backslides. And Christian proceeds to give some reasons for why he thinks temporary and other backsliders like him go back to the darkness. First, he says they stop thinking about God. They stop considering their last days, their death, and the coming judgment. Then they stop practicing what Bunyan calls their private duties, such as prayer, being watchful over their souls, battling their sin. Then they stop their public duties, being in church, hearing the word preached, fellowship with other Christians. Not long after that, they start to point out the faults of other Christians and criticize them, almost like they're giving themselves a reason to leave the faith. We see this a lot today with the deconstruction movement, don't we? It's never my fault. It's the church's fault. After that, they begin to partake with worldly people, just like Paul warns against in verse 7. They participate in the unfruitful works of darkness in secret. Verse 8, 
which leads to open public sin. That's the backslider. That's temporary. I know people who fit that description. I used to fit that description. Maybe you know someone like that. Maybe this described you at one point. Or, perhaps you noticed some things, some of these things, happening in your own heart, even now. Being a backslider is numbing. There's a reason this verse likens it to sleepiness or to deadness. It's the spiritual version of working a full work shift on three hours of sleep. You don't have your wits about you. You're sluggish. You don't want to do the things that bring life to your soul. Worst of all, you lose your awareness of Christ's love and Christ's favor. That's the effect of darkness. It tries to keep the light out. But there's hope, even for the backslider. Paul says, all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. The darkness isn't permanent. It can be exposed. It can be made light. For this reason, it says, awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead. Wake up, Paul says. These are the words of a man concerned for the souls of his hearers. Imagine someone shaking an unconscious friend, urging them to open their eyes. And when they do, this awakening has two effects. First, the backslider becomes aware of the ugliness of his own sin. That's why Paul commands us to expose sin, to bring out its true nature, to show it for what it really is. It's like a fruit that looks good on the outside, but is full of worms on the inside. Our sin is what caused God to judge the Lord Jesus on the cross in our place. That alone should cause us to hate it. Sin is a slave master. There's a trope in the genre of cosmic horror, think H.P. Lovecraft, where a character loves evil, loves some kind of evil. But at the last moment, he realizes his folly before he's destroyed by that same evil, that sin. You love it until it kills you, but by then it's too late. But when the backslider wakes up, he's shown the ugliness of his sin. Second, when the backslider is awakened, he's turned back to the light. The Holy Spirit puts him back on the right road. That's been Paul's point the whole time. You're a child of the light. Walk that way. Your sins are forgiven. Don't go back to them. Christ is your Lord, your Redeemer, your friend. Don't lose your gratitude for his loving sacrifice. And there are some who might hear this and say, so you're telling me I have to maintain my salvation then. I have to stay awake, so to speak. I have to keep up my gratitude and my obedience, and I just have to work really hard to stay in God's good graces, to avoid the darkness. No, I don't think that's what Paul is saying here. Because he says, you are light in the Lord. God has brought you out of darkness. You didn't bring yourself out. God made you right with him. You didn't make yourself right. Do you have personal responsibility? Absolutely. But the work in your heart is done. And it's done by the Spirit. He is the one who preserves you 
so that you can walk in the light. Christ forgave your sins so that you could pursue holiness. It's when you forget those things, it's when you forget how richly loved by Christ you are that you start straying towards darkness. But praise be to God, he doesn't let you stay there. But if you're a backslider and Christ hasn't saved you, then that work of God in your heart still needs to be done. And it's not too late for that either. Chris preached it this morning. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day. Christ is already and a willing Savior. He'll save you right now if you cry out to him. Come to the light. Rise from the dead by the power of the gospel. And when that awakening has taken place, the apostle says, Christ will shine on you. We're coming out of a long winter. There's nothing I love more than feeling the sun after a long time being underneath clouds. Feel the warmth of its rays. The brightness brings back a certain beauty to the world that's been gray for so long. Light feels good after a stint in darkness. This final phrase of verse 14, Christ will shine on you, is referring to Christ's favor. After returning to the light, there's restoration to an experience of the Savior's love. Like the prodigal son returning after his worldly romp, we once again fall into the arms of Jesus, strengthened and encouraged once more to walk in his light. We began with the opening words of the Didache, showing us the great difference between the two ways, the way of life, the way of death, the way of light, the way of darkness. And the Didache ends with these words as an encouragement. Do everything according to the gospel of our Lord. In Christ, by the power of the gospel, we are made new. As God's children, we now have the ability to pursue holiness, to cast off the unfruitful works of darkness, and to walk in the light. Let's pray. Father, we were darkness. That was our nature. We knew nothing other than darkness. We could not come to the light. But Lord, in your grace, by the blood of Christ, your Son, you made us light. And now you exhort us through the words of your apostle, walk as children of the light. And Lord, in a world that is dark, Sometimes walking in the light is a difficult thing, but you have given us the strength by your Holy Spirit to do so. Lord, I pray for each and every one of us here and those who are not here, those who are listening online, who are in the struggle for sin, who are maybe are tempted to go back to the darkness, Lord, that you would draw them back by your Spirit. Reveal sin to us for what it really is and all of its ugliness. Cause us to hate it and cause us to love your light. We thank you for the salvation that is ours in Christ Jesus, the way that you've brought us to his light and the way that he shines on us with love. Lord, as we leave here, may we have a fresh experience of that love, and may that spur us on to continue walking in the light and shunning the darkness. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.